0: Good morning, wonderful morning to be able to gather together like this to worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're joining us online right now, you are part of the congregation. And in a few moments, we're going to be partaking of the bread and the cup of communion. And so you want to make certain that you've got your necessary elements so that we can participate together in oneness in Jesus Christ. This morning, because we're involved with the whole matter of communion, I'm going to be turning our attention to uh, the Newer Testament and making our way to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, where we're going to be exploring verses 1 down through verse 5 this morning. Galatians 1, 1 through 5. And what Galatians offers for you, and what it offers to me furthermore, is the opportunity to see how the cross of Jesus Christ is supreme in the decision making and in the communication of the Apostle Paul. As I'm speaking, by the way, if you don't have the elements, we have them available in the back for you to pick up. In a few moments, John will be leading us in receiving the bread and the cup. I'd love to read from Galatians chapter one, verse one down through verse five where we find these words. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're gonna look to our Lord in prayer. Our Father, of course, we celebrate the fact that phase two now commences. And I thank you for the outstanding servanthood of our master plan committee, finance committee, the various stakeholder groups and teams, boards, committees, There has been a complexity in this three-phase movement. Praise you for phase one, and the houses that have been acquired, and the parking lot that was established, and now this, phase two. Father, we thank you for these various phases, but what strikes us when we turn our attention now to your word is that there was one phase only on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's when Jesus declared, it is finished. Nothing to be added to, nothing to be subtracted from. What he achieved, what he secured on the cross of Jesus Christ and for now and forever speaks to our hearts. And we want you to speak to our hearts this morning. So, Father, as we ponder now the significance of the bread and cup coming our way, warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills, as again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus, him only. Pray these things still again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at the image that appears on the screen. Gripped my attention on June 20th of this year. A fire tore through the Balsora Baptist Church in Bridgeport, Texas. Leveling the building, destroying nearly everything, except for a cross that was still standing among the charred debris. And as the flames were put out, smoke cleared, the firefighters spotted this sign of hope in people. The cross was still standing. The fire department, through their spokesperson, issued this statement. A devastating loss to our community, yet a sight to behold. The fire took the structure, but not the cross. And not the church, for the church is the congregation. And where two or more gather, there he shall be also. Those words speak to our hearts. I penned another thought as I pondered the significance of that image. When all seems lost, the cross still stands. And if you put your faith and trust in the one who died on that cross, You too can still stand no matter what you're going through. So, what I want to do now for those that are going through the things of life that might challenge us, overwhelm us, seemingly overtake us, is to take you to the cross. And as I take you to the cross this morning, what we're going to do is to look at a series of phrases found primarily, though not exclusively, in verse 4 of this section. There are seven assertions in the book of Galatians pertaining to the cross of Jesus Christ. We're looking at just the first of the seven, the introduction. And what I want to do, for the sake of it all, is to begin focusing attention on verses 3 and 4, grace to you and peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're going to come to the first of the phrases that we're going to extract this morning from this verse. Notice the phrase found here, who gave himself. And what I want to state this morning with regard to this powerful statement, this phrase, who gave himself, is that this pertains to Christ's work done voluntarily. What I want you to be able to spot here at the very beginning of it all, in this phrasing found in verse 4, is that this involves the giving of life, not the taking of life. It does not read whose life was taken. This is a life that was given. And that makes all the difference in the world. Jesus, when teaching those around him, would make a very powerful statement in John chapter 10 of verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me. Listen. Because I lay down my life. It doesn't read, someone laid down my life. Do you see the direct action of Jesus Christ in the phraseology? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. John 10, verse 18. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And you say, but guy, what about on the cross? Did Jesus hold that same conviction? You remember that classic statement in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. You and I are informed that Jesus cried out again, not with a whimper, with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit notice the direct action it involved jesus yielding up his spirit there's this sense of authority combined with a sense of responsibility consistent to what it was that jesus christ had taught his disciples he lays it down. He lifts it up. Boarding the SS Dorchester on a weary winter day in 1943 were 903 troops and some chaplains, including a Lieutenant George Fox, a Moody grad. World War II was in full swing. The ship was heading across the icy North Atlantic where German YouTube boats lurked. At 12 in the morning on February 3rd, a German torpedo ripped into the ship. She's going down, was the cry, as everyone scrambled for lifeboats. Listen a young G.I. crept up to one of the chaplains. I've lost my life jacket, he said. Take this, the chaplain said, handing the soldier his jacket. And before the ship sank, each chaplain gave his jacket to another man. And the heroic chaplains then linked arms and lifted their voices in prayer and praise as the Dorchester went down. And Lieutenant Fox and his fellow pastors were awarded posthumously in the Distinguished Service Cross. What we're doing as we make our way to the cross is to look at the distinguished service found in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon that cross. He gave himself. It's the giving of life, not the taking of life. Herod didn't take it. Pilate didn't take it. The Sanhedrin didn't take it life's circumstances didn't take it this was a deliberate choice made by Christ voluntarily with you in mind a second phrase not only does it read who gave himself which speaks of Christ's work done voluntarily But notice, furthermore, this was done for our sins, which means Christ's work was substitutionary. Substitutionary. This was not to be an unexpected matter for the Jewish people. They knew their Older Testament, as should we, Because in Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4, in that classic statement on the suffering servant, the 8th century B.C. prophet Isaiah would pen these words, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him. Do you feel the dynamic back and forth, back and forth? smitten by God, afflicted, but he was pierced for our. Anytime we talk substitution, there is a for our involved. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And listen to this, this is extraordinary. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It doesn't read, and the Lord found in him the iniquity including us all. Does it? No. It reads, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Foretaste of the cross of Jesus Christ. You fast forward. You make your way to the Newer Testament. You're in the book of John. And the Apostle John is recording thoughts and observations by John the Baptist. We're in chapter 1 of verse 29. The next day, he, speaking of John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what he was doing at this point is saying, you've got yourself a substitute. And Jesus Christ is the substitute for your sins and for my sins. It's for our sins. Now, what I want you to see here is this. Throughout the course of history, even into the present, anything pertaining to the cross of Jesus Christ tends to have what we might describe as as a counterfeit substitutionary plan. We talk about this periodically. Take, for example, the story of Barabbas, whose name means son of the father. Interesting. In that story of Jesus Christ's death, a substitution was made, heavy influence by the Sanhedrin. They wanted a substitute so that Jesus would become the substitute for Barabbas. Barabbas would come down, and Jesus would stay up on that cross, so to speak. This was one form of substitution. Substitution. Islam has the opposite form of substitution. In the Quran, which I was again reviewing this past week, there is a particular section in a surah where one named Esau, whom they view as the great prophet, Esau, named for Jesus, at the last moment upon a cross, Esau is substituted brought down so that another man would be put up and replace esau upon that cross a substitution in other words the jews had their form of substitution in barabbas islam has its form of substitution replacing jesus upon the cross but what i want to see is that throughout history there have been counterfeit substitutionary plans what you and I need to do is to go back to the authentic substitutionary plan, that which is recorded within the Scriptures itself, where Jesus Christ died not in his sins. And Jesus Christ died for our sins. And when we begin to understand the for our we're better equipped then to be able to understand the significance of what is being described here in these verses. You might remember the story. George Vanderman wrote, May 21st, 1946, Place Los Alamos. Young daring scientists carrying out a necessary experiment in preparation for the atomic test to be conducted in the waters of the South Pacific. He had successfully performed such an experiment many times before. In his effort to determine the amount of U235 necessary for a chain reaction, what is known as critical mass, he would push two hemispheres of uranium together and then just as the mass would become critical, push them apart with a screwdriver, thus instantly stopping the chain reaction. But that day, just as the material became critical, the screwdriver slipped. The hemispheres of uranium came too close together. Instantly, the room was filled with this dazzling bluish haze. Young Lewis Slotin, instead of ducking, possibly saving himself, tore the two hemispheres apart with his hands, interrupting the chain reaction. And by this instant, he saved the lives of the seven other persons, people in the room, as he waited for that car that was to take him to the hospital, and where he quietly would then say to his companions, fellow scientists, you will come through. All right, but I have not the faintest chance myself. And nine days later, he passed away. But in the process, what was an accident in that laboratory served as a substitution for those fellow scientists. Now, what we want to say is that the cross of Christ Jesus is not an accident in time. It is an appointment with time. Promised throughout the Old Testament, later in the book of Galatians, in chapters 4, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. You and I are informed. What you've done at this point is to begin to extract the phrases here so significantly describing the cross of Christ. At first he gave himself which means Christ's work was done voluntarily. Second for our sins Christ's work was done was substitutionary. Third to deliver us from the present evil age Christ's work was done purposefully. Purposefully. Now, what captures our attention here in this phrase, to deliver us, is that the word in the Greek, "exoreo" means to rescue. In other words, Jesus Christ positioned himself in Bethlehem, to enter into a rescue mission for you, for me. Now, this Greek word here that I have just pronounced for you is found elsewhere in the New Testament. For example, there is this time where Stephen is standing before the Jewish people and he is in acts of an explaining great detail, the history of God's involvement redemptively with his people. And in an extraordinary moment in Acts chapter 7 verse 34 we are told I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come down to here's your word deliver them. That's the Greek word. Inch forward a little further into the book of Acts. And there's Peter and he is incarcerated. Comes to his senses we're told in verse 11 of Acts 12 and states, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me in the Greek rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting what I want to say at this point then is that what God has done is sent Jesus Christ on a rescue mission he rescued Israel from bondage he rescued Peter from prison, he would rescue Paul from a mob, as described in the book of Acts as well. And have you ever noticed that when you are pondering history or you are reading various great works of literature, watching a great movie, so often you're dealing with a rescue story? D-Day of World War II, think Eisenhower. Go to the Pacific during World War II, think MacArthur. I have returned, I shall return, I have returned. But then you plunge into great stories and literature, or seen in movies. Jack comes to rescue Rose. William Wallace rises up, rescues Scotland. Luke Skywalker rescues the princess. Even Nemo's father rescues him. Aslan comes to rescue Nania. Why are these such great stories? These are rescue stories. This is your story. For you see, On the day that Adam and Eve fell and ran off and hid in the bushes, did they go looking for God? No. God came looking for them as he comes looking for you. And he called to Adam, where are you? Oh, God knew. But you see, part of the rescue story is for the person to come to self-awareness of the need to be rescued. When one realizes we've come into this world sinful by nature, we realize that we're in need of rescue. And when we gaze at that cross, we understand the breadth and the depth the rescue story. Christ's work was done purposefully to deliver us from the present evil age. Notice the wording. He doesn't deliver you out of the present evil age, does he? He delivers you from the present evil age. That has extraordinary ramifications, not only now, but in the future. He doesn't rescue you out of the present evil age, but from the present evil age. And it says age, not world. Now you pull all that together, and you're on to still a fourth phrase. Because this is according to the will of our God and Father. In other words, this is Christ's work still being described, done voluntarily substitutionary purposefully but now as you see on the screen done obediently this is God the Father's will God the Father's will established for Christ designed by God the Father revealed by God and God the Father's will obeyed by Christ not according to our will but rather according to, according to the will of the Father in heaven. And when you begin to ponder the significance of that, then you can embrace what is described of Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words when we accept what Christ did on the cross as finished we are saying we cannot add to our sinful works to his sinless work nor can we subtract from his sinless work to replace it with our sinful works but rather we embrace the tetelestia it is finished nothing more, nothing less, and the result being out of all this by saying it is sufficient when you've put your faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you embrace then the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, his work, salvation for you, for his glory, which leads you to the final phrase. Now you go back to verse 1. And there in verse 1, lo and behold, you find this phrase, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, God Christ's work was achieved victoriously. It's as if God the Father is saying, see, told you so. He is who he claimed to be. You can't keep a good man down, you know. And there is Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Lord. At the geographical heart of London is this classic story revolving around the street known as Charing Cross. You've been to London, you know of it where all distances are measured from it and the spots simply referred to as the cross. You know the story. Lost child one day picked up by what we would call a policeman. Child's unable to tell the policeman where he lived. And finally in response to repeated questions amid the crying and the tears, the little fellow then said, if you take me to the cross, I think I can find my way from there. You can hear Hill's song now. Savior, I come, quiet my soul, remember. Redemption's hill where your blood was spilled for my ransom. Everything I once held dear, I counted all lost. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Lead me, lead me to the cross. And so, Father, that's where we want to go. With these various phrases found in these five verses, what we want to do now is to position ourselves at the cross of Jesus Christ. We want to gaze at what's taken place want to be able to hear his words, his sighs, his groans. The Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ending with, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And through it all, Father, we give you praise and glory because you have given us the cross. But more importantly, you've given us Jesus who died on that cross. And we praise you in Jesus' name.